This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. Good to see you again. Uh, we're going to jump right into topic here in just a minute. Before we do that, I just wanted to say thanks to all the listeners and, and the encouraging words we get from you. Uh, we hear from you regularly, and we're thankful that this has been helpful to you. Uh, if you would allow us to help you in other ways, you can go to practicalshepherding.com. You can go to the contact page. And you can write us, and our ministry team uh, receives those. And if there's any way we can help you or serve you, we try to do that. So don't hesitate to, to write us through that. You can also go to the website. There's all kinds of other content that's there. We've got a free video cohort that you can join that'll be you can apply for that'll be starting in January again. There's books there. There's articles. There's more podcasts that Jim and I have recorded through the through the years. So feel free to go to the website and be uh, and see if that would be a help to you in any way. Uh, one of the ways we want to try to be a help today is we're going to have a conversation that most people don't have, do they, Jim? When we're going to talk about constitutions and covenants in churches, something that some guys might learn about in seminary, uh, some churches focus on more than others, but the reality is, is every church actually usually has some kind of documentation of a constitution and a covenant. Some churches know more about it than others, but that's what we want to talk about because uh, this is something that every church, really every pastor ha- has to sort through in a lot of ways. You have taken through your church, as long, even though you planted your church, you've even gone through a revision of this. I inherited a mess of... of of covenant constitution type stuff, and we revised ours at some point. And so this is a conversation that a lot of pastors are having now, and we thought that this might be helpful. So, Jim, will you set this up in in how we want to have this? There's a lot we could talk about, so how do we want to set this up and focus this conversation on constitutions and covenants in our churches? Maybe could have added a third C, and that's confessions, you know, because I think, you know, what, what does a church believe? What is a church... How is a church going to function in regard to practicalities and what is expected of members in regard to their life together? And, and what we're saying with this is, is that there is an agreed upon, openly declared and written expression of those things so that it's very nice to be able to say, well, we just follow the Bible. We just do what the Bible right. says. Yeah. Well. If a Catholic says that, Lutheran says that, a Presbyterian says that, a Mormon says that, a Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, you know, at some point you're going to have to make definitions, right. and some of those definitions are theological, some of those definitions are more uh, practical, ecclesiastical. How are we going to serve God in our generation? are we going to meet together when we have meetings together, congregational meetings? If we're ever going to vote on something. If we're going to appoint officers, uh, what is the process of membership? And a constitution is a way, in some ways, to to write those things down. And then some churches have, not every church, I think almost every church we would talk to or talk about will have some kind of a constitution. And others are going to have a covenant, and a covenant that is some kind of a mutual agreement between the Lord and and one another, that as long as I'm a part of this church, these are the things, these are the basic things that I am committing ourselves to. Now, I'm thinking about this a little bit more because we have recently undergone a rather massive uh, 
reworking of our Constitution and of our covenant. And part of what we did is to make both of them pithier or, or, or briefer. Mm-hmm. And I can say from a personal standpoint, it, 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 it began with a recognition that our church constitution was longer than the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> And I was like a, a just like a good reform Baptist, like, by the way, Jim. Just right. so you know. It was like, you know, because there's so much qualification, there's so much expression of things. And I had read, I was reading a book about George Washington a few mo- a, a few years ago, really, I guess now it was, and and there was some discussion about the the wisdom of our US Constitution is that where it is specific and where it is general. Yeah. And and the, it, its generality has allowed it to be able to be used for hundreds of years, uh, and its specificity is what's you know kept things on the rails. But yeah. but there have been other things that have been so open to interpretation, or or, or that you're able to function uh, in different systems and societies uh, throughout you know throughout the the decades. So. We recently have worked through that, but I think really what I want to ask Brian and, and want to help pastors to think through or se- several issues is what is the purpose of a constitution? So this is what we realized is that in our constitution, we had things that were repeats of our church confession. thought, well, if it's in our confession, it doesn't need to be in our constitution. Right, okay. Yep. So what do you put in a constitution? Why do you, Why do you have a constitution? What do you put in that constitution? And then, do you have a covenant, and how do you hold people to that? And what yeah. happens if they don't hold to that covenant? Do yeah. you, in what way do you express your covenant together? You know, is it something you sign? Is it something that's a bit more feels more binding? Is it something you state together, say together when new members come in? How do you how do you work that so, out? So, so those let, are some things I thought would be good to talk about. Yeah, and let, before we go any further with this, let me just simplify, and I want to add that third document that we're talking about here. Every church needs three things, a statement of faith, a church covenant, and a constitution. Those are three uh, separate documents. Let me define each one of them briefly in my understanding. Okay. Statement of faith is what a church believes. The covenant is how the members are living together as a local church. Mm-hmm. And the constitution is, in a sense, how do we function? Okay. So I, I, just a brief summary of those three kinds of And it's of more documents. pleasing, Brian, if you had a third. So, so confession, covenant, constitution. So we'll stay with the alliteration of, of the, yeah. the, the the statement of faith, confession. Yeah, it's obviously yeah. the same thing. And and, and I want to I like putting those. I think it's helpful to put them in all three of those categories because they're three different documents. But to your point, the reason I want to highlight that is a lot of times there's a bleed over into these documents because people don't understand clearly they have different functions. So, right. so I first want to say, so we have confession, covenant, constitution. Be aware they're three separate documents. Even as we're talking, you might want to think about how much you know in your own church of these things. Uh, because So let's talk about it in those the framework of okay. those three particular Why don't we focus today more on constitution, covenant, and, and maybe do another one on confession? Because yeah. I think that's a good question is, how much of the church's doctrine do you make public? Right. How much do you define who you are and what you do? Because for some, it's five statements. For some, it's 10 statements. For others of us, it's 32 chapters or something like that. Right. That we have that. Yep. So, that's what, good. Brian, what's the purpose of a church constitution? So in my mind, the church constitution determines how the church functions. Okay. So who's it for? 
Who's the church constitution for? The church constitution, well, it's it's ultimately for everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm curious on your thoughts on this, but it's in a general sense, it's for everybody. And since that it defines how the church is going to function uh, as a, you know, logistically as a church, how decisions are going to be made and who makes those and who's in these, uh, you know, how the church is going to function. I think the polity structure of the church from leaders to membership to all those kinds of things usually gets described and spelled out in a in a church constitution. The constitution is also probably, uh, and you can speak to this since you just went through this, but my understanding is the church constitution is the, the most legal document of mm-hmm. the church. So not just decisions, but it's it's the legality of it to protect the church from the decisions they make and potentially facing lawsuits. This is what the church can say, we've all agreed, this is how we're going to function, right. this is how we're going to make decisions. This governing body made this decision, and so you know we can we can support that. And how decisions are made in the church as well as uh, how the church how the decisions are made outside the church, and that there's an agreement with the members who are ultimately responsible, I think. So in regard to church polity, you might include things like um, what is membership, what are the expectations of members, what's the process of membership, what's the church government, what are the church offices, how are they elected, or, yep. and what is the process of ordination. You you uh, would have if you have when you have business meetings. What is the agreed upon way to call a business meeting? Yeah. Uh, what what amount of votes are required for something to pass? Those those kinds of issues that aren't explicitly laid out in this. Those things aren't laid out in this. Well, some of them are, but they're not as explicitly laid out when you say, okay, well, how does your church do this? So, for instance, in our church, when somebody wants to become a member, they take there there are membership classes. There is a written testimony in which a person describes their understanding of the gospel and their experience of the gospel. That's given to all the members for a period of three weeks for interaction. At the conclusion of that three weeks, there's a brief interview with the eldership to make sure, answer any final questions. And then a person is brought in. We recite our church covenant together, pray if need, if need be, they're baptized. So, so the elders are the ones that make the decision, though, not the congregation, correct? Well, the congregation is involved in that process, that three-week process of evaluation, so that it's what we would call, um, that's the congregational confirmation. There's not an explicit vote, right. but it is. You've had three weeks to read their testimonies. You've had however many weeks or months to interact with these people, are there any concerns? And then they are presented uh, following that period. You know, we we would have met with them. We've we've interviewed them. We've read their testimonies. We've gone through the membership class with them, and then the congregation has a, a three week period to interact knowledgeably yeah. with them on the basis of their written explanation of the gospel and their testimony of the gospel. This is probably a good time to just insert that. You guys are technically a Reformed Baptist church that is elder-ruled. Mm-hmm. We are Southern Baptist, uh, elder-led, congregational church, which means what you're talking about, our process is incredibly similar to what you just articulated. But one big difference that would be reflected in a constitution mm-hmm. is that the members actually have the authority to vote them into membership in a way that I assume it's not written in yours in that way, which means... Uh, because we vote on more things as members of the congregation, 
What the Constitution says is a quorum, is what it's called, the amount of people who have to be present for mm-hmm. a vote to actually matter. Right. Matters a lot more in our church context and that how that's written in the Constitution. And so what actually, you know, you you planted your church, you were able to at least make a decision on the Constitution you were going to have. I inherited a mess of a Constitution and a lot of churches, a lot of pastors inherit a mess of a Constitution in Southern Baptist churches because these covenants or excuse me, these these uh, constitutions are written in ways that are unhelpful. Like that, that's where you get the thirty-two committees that have been listed in the right. constitution and all this. But the other part of constitutions that every pastor needs to check is what is the number of the quorum, because mm. these things don't get changed and revised. And when a church goes from three hundred members to fifty over the course of twenty years and never changes their constitution, technically you're never going to have a quorum. Mm. And so. A lot of churches are functioning outside of their constitution. That's why this is an important conversation, is that if a pastor doesn't know what's in the constitution, they may be functioning as a church in a way that's outside the constitution, which might make them liable from a legal standpoint. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that matter of legality is something, if if you are, if your church incorporates at all, that is, has some kind of incorporation with the state, which some have convictions strongly one way or the other that right. you must not you should but you know your constitution is going to be filed uh, that's as, right. as a part of that yeah that's right and i do think you're right in saying one of the things when we we got some legal counsel at one point particularly following the overfell decision in the supreme court and that is how do we protect our church and its property as best we can right against certain equality acts and things like that if a homosexual couple comes and says that they, they that they have a right to our building or something like that to perform a wedding. So we actually had to add some amendments to our constitution in light of that to offer some degree of protection so that it's put there, it is stated out there openly. And one of the things we were encouraged to do is to really put as much scripture in there as possible about our understanding of marriage and about our use of the building and about who can use it and what's the process of using our building and how you go about getting permission to use our building and those sorts of things. Uh, Because courts are are loathe to get involved in religious uh, matters. And so it offers the church a degree of protection. Here's so my, for here's a, a go ahead. Uh, so here's a question I have though, because you just went through this and you said your constitution was really long, so you had to Ooh. cut things, a lot of things and stuff with that. Uh, my understanding is you can have a base constitution that spells out the 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 general procedural things of, of, of the work of the church, how they how they function, and then you can add policies onto that. Not onto the Constitution, but you then can spell out a, a marriage policy. You mm-hmm. know that doesn't necessarily have to go in the Constitution. Child abuse policy. Child abuse policy that that the church then affirms, and it's a it's a legal binding document in a sense because the church affirms that this is what you're going to do. But you don't have to put all that into a Constitution. How did you all sort through what goes in the Constitution and what is a What's like a child abuse policy we want to be able to write and be clear and, and affirm as a church, but not put in a constitution? Yeah, well, uh, that's an interesting question, Brian, because there's some of those things I think we might have a, a greater debate about. But we try to try to separate and say, what is a is the constitution the place for this? So again, we ask, yeah. what's what's its purpose? So part of its purpose is to catch a new member up to speed to allow us to have stated policies about how we are going to conduct the church's business 
and then also to offer a degree of legal protection. And so when we did that and said, okay, is the place of the Constitution to affect moral behavior? Right. Or, or or expectations of members and said, okay, are there things that we think maybe that, I mean, are right and biblical, but it's the place of the pulpit or it's the place of a membership class to go over and say, you know, we expect when somebody comes in, this is the, this is what we understand. So what is, what's godliness look like? What, what does this church kind of understand? Like, so issues of, you know, to encourage family worship, to encourage giving to encourage a certain kind of family structure or you know whatever those things that the husband's ahead of the home why you know that is is that should that be in a church constitution yeah is that should that be in a church covenant or is that just part of the preaching ministry of the church where that's understood or perhaps it's covered in a membership class so how how did you answer that question well we because we were saying all right some of this doesn't really belong here. That was a question. If it's already covered in the in the if it's covered in the confession of faith, right? Which is why that third so, piece is so important. So we don't in this need to have a long thing about what baptism is, right? And about what the Lord's Supper is, and our Constitution because it's in our confession yeah, of faith. Right, right. We don't need to have a statement in our Constitution about justification or God's covenants because right. it's in our confession of faith. Yep. So we say it's already there. And then we said, all right, do do I want people's behavior to be marked by? So we used to have it in the co- in our constitution that members are expected to attend all the services of the church. Huh. Uh, so that included Sunday school, morning, evening, and prayer meeting. Okay, so that's pretty strict, right? Yeah, it's pretty strict. And when people don't do that, I didn't want to come to them and say, "Hey, it's in our constitution." Because that's that's the way you to motivate people, right? Yeah, I don't want to motivate somebody with the Constitution <laughs> or even discipline somebody Article on the basis. Article 15C says. Article 15 of our Constitution. No, no I, I want to say, like, <laughs> like, is there a reason why you don't want to, you know, there's a difference between saying, is there a reason why you don't want to gather for worship? Yeah. Or, or why you can't gather for worship rather than in the Constitution you said you would. I don't want that, you know, it's just, so we inherited a constitution. We'd worked through it a couple of different times uh, from our mother church, that, okay. our, our, you know, so that was in theirs and we, we kept it along, but I, I was less and less comfortable with, with trying to modify or exhort somebody on the basis of church constitution. I want to do that on the basis of exegesis. And if it comes out in the preaching, but I didn't want behavior modified, you know, yeah, like voting, voting one thing, you know, but behavior, godliness, godliness tied to the Constitution, I didn't want that. And so, that, that's a good distinction. That could get really long, too, if oh, you did. Try to cover it. And we had like, you know, two pages of expectations. So it's interesting when what I, I inherited a Constitution that had several, in my opinion, unbiblical practices listed. Mm. And we had a cup. Uh, you can't drink, can't smoke. That was, well, that was in the covenant. So there's other, and then there were some unbiblical practices in the church covenant as well. And so we, what I inherited, I had a tricky, of course, I inherited a situation where people didn't know what the covenant said, and they, they didn't reference the, the constitution and the statement of faith. I, right. I went and dusted them off and, and found them, you know, in a filing cabinet somewhere. So like Josiah's so, finding of the law. That's the right. It's very of, much, very much like that. So it was, it was part of it was me having to try to reintroduce this idea to the church and then sort through the sacred cow. Those are founding documents. We can't change those. So right. I had to deal with, I had a kind of a whole nother level of this, but the reason they're important is that this the church, obviously, as I was trying to move to a plurality of pastors and deacons as the office of the church, 
and try to make sense of that versus all these committees that existed in the Constitution that was this authority structure, which is in many SBC churches. And so one of the things I had to deal with is, one, reteach what these things are to the church, then fight the battles to change things and wrestle through exactly what you're talking about in a church covenant. We, you know, we want to be able to recite this together, you know, at a members meeting afterwards and or before the Lord's Supper and all that kind of stuff. And when you have all these specifics, even if they're found in the Bible and you list them in the covenant, the pro- what's problematic about that is you leave out other things in the Bible that you would want in the covenant that and so are you emphasizing some things more than another? Right. So so we in the covenant, we used a general biblical language and basically then said, you know, let the Bible sort through the specifics, but we're flagging that we want this to be worded in such a way that it doesn't contradict what Scripture says. And, and so I was dealing with uh, a, an authority structure written in a constitution that was unbiblical. I've got a covenant we're wanting members to agree to as they become members that's a mess and not clear and actually problematic in regard to things that that were you could tell that the covenant has been had been rewritten around problems and fights and conflicts that had taken place in the church and you could just see it all over and I thought you know that that's also not how we want to reflect this stuff mm-hmm. let's let's come up with a general biblical document that's clear but we the bible can sort through the specifics and that was one of the big battles changing the covenant and then later, way down the road, doing the Constitution. Uh, but what we found is we actually pushed and battled to have a, a biblical polity and and function as a church from a biblical standpoint. The last thing we did then is change the Constitution to reflect that. I find that a lot of guys do the opposite. They go in and think, I need to change the covenant and the Constitution right away mm. to reflect the Bible. I've I've always found this peculiar. Guys will go in and try to fight all the battles in the early years, you know, because they want a plurality of pastors, elders in the church, and they get it changed in the Constitution. They burn all this collateral and have all these fights. They finally get it passed. They don't have anybody to qualify as an elder. <laughs> right. You know, just always. So I get that that's the biblical polity you want to pursue. But, but so, you preach first, change later, that's, that's rather right. than change then. You know, I've always argued that from a covenant and constitution standpoint, it go, fight for the functionality within the church. And then I think it naturally, when you revise it, people go, Oh yeah, we're already doing this. Oh yeah, like there's no way our quorum could be a hundred people when we have thirty members. You know, that's just yeah. a, that's silly. So we need to change these things based on the practice. And I think that's so when we're talking about revising things, maybe in a situation that that's going to be hard, um, that's a, a good way to approach it. So Jim, anything else around this as we were, so, yeah around the covenant and the constitution? Yeah, stuff? real quick, I, I think, and then I want to ask you a question and okay. deal with this. But I think one of the benefits of shortening our constitution is that you may actually be able to read it you know i mean you, that you can stop you're, it you're far you you're re- far better you're far you know what i mean it's like you know you, you sign on to like you know apple uh updates it's ios and there's you know then you're so i agree click you agree. Know, are you gonna <laughs> are you really gonna read you know scroll through uh, 15 screens or 30 screens worth of lawyerly language that you know, it's not overwhelming. That's my point. Is that it's not overwhelming, and and that you're actually what we would do in our membership class is to highlight it and, and go through it with the members together, and then it then it's published. You know, so it's there, it's out there, it's available. 
Um, Brian, in regard to the church covenant, and again, we we reorganize this, and part of the reason is, I'll say for us, I don't know how you handle this, we recite it every time we receive new members. Hmm. That's good. It got to be the point where it, it the more and more we did it, it took it took two and a half to three minutes to recite it together. Again, uh, which yes, doesn't I know. Sa- which doesn't sound like a long time, but, but it, it, it can it, feel it, like it, a long time. It, it can, and the more you go on, the longer it is, the more you're like, I'm really trying not to mess up right now, rather than, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. we agreed to that, yeah. And so what we tried to do, one of our elders actually gone through and printed out all the one another's again during our meeting where we were working through all of this. And just said, all right, how do we, how can we epitomize this? And and again, the temptation is always, whenever you try to epitomize, is that there's something you then want to, I want to explain what I mean by that. So I want to, well, when I say love, I want to make sure everybody understands. <laughs> now, listen, that, that's in the current, you plant the seed of love. That's what grows. First Corinthians 13, you don't have to quote First Corinthians 13 because of that. That's right. That's right. You know. Wow, first time I've had a phone call. Do you need come to get that? Or, I okay. don't. All right, keep going. I, 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 go will, I will go. You know, he'll be famous <laughs> later on. I'll tell him, hey, it was you. Um, you know, so anyways, how do you use your, your covenant? Do people sign the covenant? Do you have people do that? Do you have a ceremony when they become members where they sign that? Do you all recite it together? You mentioned maybe during the Lord's Supper. Do you do it when you bring somebody in? Yeah. How is the covenant used? Yeah. We recite it at the end of every members meeting. We have a monthly members meeting, oh, okay. and at the end of every members meeting, which we call family meeting, you know, right? We and that includes when we take in members as well. We vote on members in that, in that meeting, so that's where we will read it, recite it together. It takes about I don't know. It takes probably sixty seconds to recite our our covenant together. And the other thing we'll do is we'll ask members to sign the covenant, but not give it to us. So if they agree to it, sign it, put it on your fridge, and let them have a visible okay. reminder that of what they agreed to. And then, of course, when we read it every month, um, I've also heard of churches that read it before the Lord's Supper, which I think is a great idea. Too. We, we, we don't do that, but I think it's a good idea. What kinds of things do you emphasize in your church covenant? What, what, do you, what, do you, what is the goal of the church covenant? Yeah, so the the goal of the church covenant is to remind everybody what we are agreeing on in in regard to the prerequisites to become a member, and then what we are agreeing to as members. So, uh, uh, con- uh, baptism, uh, confession of faith, and baptism you know confession of of uh, following Christ and baptism is actually a prerequisite for membership for us. Mm-hmm, so, right. it first states that states unity and fellowship. It states that we'll be a part of the mission of the church. Uh, committing to give is in our covenant, so okay. um, you know to uh, you know to pursue holiness. It's worded in that in that way, and uh, reconciliate, being quick to reconcile with each other mm. is worded in. And at the end of the covenant, which is in a lot of covenants, but I think this is important. We will, uh, when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the right. principles of God's word. So I. I that, yeah, I re- had all of that, and we had a lot of that. We, but again, we just went to a more succinct. So I think so. Having I, I, I love that part in the covenant because it states that my responsibility as a member of this church is if I move away, that part of the fulfillment of this covenant is I would join another church, and uh, continue this covenant commitment right. there. Which consequently 
is interesting because, you know, that's something my wife and I in our transition now are going to be, that's part of me being faithful to that covenant that we as a family will go join another church and carry out the spirit of this covenant as it, as it says. So I actually think that's helpful. So our covenant articulates what are we agreeing to, what are we agreeing to walk through life together in? So, any final word, Jim, on this as we as we wrap this up that that you that pastor you would want pastors to be thinking about as they think about confession, covenant, and and constitution together. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a what you're trying to say is to people you want it you want it to be out in the open as clearly as you can because somebody's always going to come and say later on I had no idea. Well, you know, you 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 make clear this is what our church this is what our church believes. And you, again, this is the whole point. It's just an openness before God and man. You're not trying to hide anything. You're not trying to get away with anything. You know, you're not trying right. to sneak anything right. in. And so, for new members coming in, that they have a clear I- idea as best you can. Again, some of them may be relatively new believers, and a lot of this language and structure is foreign to them. But others are coming from other contexts, and that's a way of saying, for me and my house, this is this is how we serve the Lord. And we want you on board. And and so we're going to want to openly demonstrate this. And then in a very succinct way, we can state some of those primary things by way of a, a church covenant. So the way we do it is that we say it when we bring in a new member. You know, you do it more often than we do. And I think that that's a good way just to, to reinforce and to, and to remember that church life is not just about personal satisfaction, but it is about plugging into a body and serving mm-hmm. a body together. That's good. I, my final word would be something similar, and that's yeah. Keep it as keep it as simple as possible, but you got to be clear and specific uh, for the benefit of the church and what you want to accomplish with it. But but I think it's that's a good word in what you shared, Jim. Because uh, to two things should be flags for you. If you have to give caveats, if you when you ask somebody to read something, you probably need to revise it and probably make it shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want a covenant to be a document that the church recites together and agrees with, it's got to be short enough to do that. Your statement of faith, you know, same way. If you want somebody to carefully read this to agree on to it, it's got to be digestible for the average member who would come to your church. And the Constitution at least needs to be clear enough to where people don't have to sort through a bunch of stuff. You have to give all these caveats to, well, we do it differently here. And this no, that's that would be evidence that you would need to put a, as a goal to revise it, these documents. But this can be a team. If people have hung with us at this point, Jim, then they're probably trying to think through this stuff because this is probably not the most exciting thing to talk about. We want to emphasize, though, this is essential things to deal with as a pastor. You may hate administration and hate thinking through this stuff, and you just want to, you know, be with people and love Jesus and preach. Great, right. but these are important things. So, so I want to encourage every pastor to take this seriously and realize that these things matter, and you don't want to walk through something that's going to remind you that this matters and it'd be too late uh, that you don't have this stuff sorted through. So, uh, I want to take a minute and just pray for wisdom for each of you listening to this about these particular things. So Lord, thank you for uh, the way that you create order in our churches in different ways, and we know that this is certainly one of the ways you accomplish that. Would you give each of us wisdom and discernment to know how to walk through these these legal documents, these defining documents for our church? And we pray, Lord, that they would be clear to be faithful for pastors and churches to watch their life, watch their doctrine, and to be faithful in that. But Lord, we also pray that these these documents would not prohibit just the organic fruit to come from relationships and 
uh, the church just being built in the way that you want it built to be gospel light wherever they are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.